Thank you, thank you. I'm on, I'm on, I'm on. You got me? Oh, fantastic. Good to, good to see you all. And I can't see you all rest on the camera there, but I hope you're having a good time at home as well. Um, just before I get started, a bit of a shout out at the moment. Um, I believe Matt and Gabby, it's your fifth anniversary today. And also they're announcing they're expecting a new child coming along the way, coming later in the year. And so that will change things up a bit. And so that'll be fantastic if we continue to build our church. That's good. Let's pray before we get into this word, will we? That'll be good. Father, we come to you right now, Lord. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would manifest yourself in each and every person here today. That we would listen today, not just with our human ears, as it were, but we would listen with our spiritual ears. And we would hear past my voice, hear past what I've got to say, and hear what Holy Spirit has to say to each of us through the words that are spoken. Father, we thank you and we give you this time right now to your glory in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. Well, most of my sermons nowadays seem to come from little things that happen in my life or, you know, sometimes it comes from a devotion that I might be having a quiet time where God gives me a bit of a revelation. This one actually comes today from a few weeks ago from when I was driving my car and something happened which kind of sparked this sermon off. I don't know where we were going, but Susan was with me. Um, as is the norm, and we were driving along, and I'm just sort of, you know, concentrating on the road. But as I am, Susan's on the phone, and I gather she's phoning someone. I don't, to this day, I can't remember who it was that she was calling. But all I remember is some words that she spoke on the phone that kind of really impacted me. And I heard her saying, yes, yep, it's Susan Mann here. Yep, that's M-A double N. As simple as that. But right at that moment as she said those words, I thought to myself, what a privilege it is that my wife, who used to be Sue Jerome, decided to give up her identity, as it were, give up her name, and in marriage come together with me, and she decided to take on my name. And I thought, what a privilege it is for her to do that. Like in this day and age, I suppose you don't have to do that, you know, like you can do whatever you want. But Susan chose to give up her name at that time and become Susan Mann. At that time, I felt it was like a, almost like a, a stamp, as it were, that she was saying, a, a stamp on the words that we spoke and the vows that we gave to one another that day. At the same time, I promised her that all that I have, all that I am, is now hers. She has my name, but more than that, she has everything that I am, the whole lot. In our life, you know, all the property is in both of our names. Our bank accounts are in both of our names. We are one in that sense. And as we said those vows, to be faithful in good times and in bad, whether we are in plenty or in lack, in sickness and in health, I promise to love you and to cherish you for the rest of our natural lives. We've been married for some 42 years now, and we have been through all sorts of territory. But looking back over that time, and we've had some great times, but we've also had some incredible challenges along the way. 
And I think it is through those challenges that we have faced together that has probably formed us together stronger as a unit more than anything else. And through those times when God has turned up, and there's been times where we've been actually beyond ourselves, where we've thought, how are we going to get through this? How is this problem going to be solved in our lives? And, you know, it can really become something that gives you um, fear and grief and stuff like that. But at those times when God turned up, when he came with an answer, it took our faith to a whole new level. I was just talking to Andy Moses out there somewhere. Where are you, Andy? Okay, you out there somewhere? There he is, okay. And, uh, you know, he's been through a tumultuous time over the last three months or so in hospital. Um, But he's sitting down there today with a big grin on his face, exuding God. Because in the midst of his turmoil, in the midst of his pain and recovery, God has turned up and he's found peace in what he's gone through in God. So good, good to see you here, buddy. And I hope you do get home this week. That would be fantastic. You know, um, over the last 35 years or so that I've been a pastor, I've married a lot of people. I can't remember um, you know, how many, and I can't remember all, all of their names, but I know I've married a lot of people. And I know it's a great responsibility to come into that place and to bring people into the presence of God and to marry them. Did one just the other day, another one. Um, But when I come to that place to marry people, I don't come as an officer of the government. Yes, the government had given me the right and the approval to, you know, marry people legally. But, you know, when I stand there, I don't really think that is the main purpose of me being there. I come to act in the presence of God. I come there Hopefully when people come to marriage and they ask me to be their celebrant at that time, it's because they want to get married in the presence of God. It's not just a ceremony. I tell people that as Christians, when we come together to get married, we come together to give up our identity as it were, to come and to become one unit one flesh, and as we come and we recognize that Holy Spirit is right in that place where we betroth ourselves one to another, then we make promises to one another and we are now one unit. It's not just a ceremony. And from that point forth, a spiritual connection is made between those two people. I've seen it in our own lives where we kind of, several times, many, many times, we kind of think, How did you know I was gonna say that? You were thinking exactly the same thing as me. And this happens so often because we have become one, not just two individual people. A great marriage is when both people come together and give up their own rights, as it were, and live for the other person. But it's the same with salvation, and I suppose this is where I'm taking this, is that the day that we become Christians, we actually take on Jesus Christ as our betrothed. We give up our lives. We take on a brand new name, the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Everything that he has, everything that he has in God is now ours because we have betrothed ourselves to him to live in relationship with our Savior. And today, That is particularly where I want to push. Today's sermon, I've actually called, You Shall Have a New Name. We have become sons and daughters of God 
through our betrothal to him. But I want to ask the question, what does that mean to us? Just who is this Jesus Christ that we have betrothed ourselves to? Because it's an enormous thing. When, when I'm doing counseling before people get married, I always take them through now. Have you thought this thing through? Are you aware of the commitment you're going to make? Are you aware that it's got, you know, honeymoons are great, but the honeymoon's end and life starts and troubles can come? Are you ready to march through that and to stay together no matter what comes, no matter whether it's good times or bad, no matter sickness or health, poverty or riches? We are one in this thing and we'll travel it together. Are you ready for that? Are you ready to understand that you are betrothed to Christ and just who is he? I want to take two stories and bring this out a bit further. In Matthew, I've been reading Matthew lately, and um, in chapter 14, it's got the story there of Jesus feeding the 5,000. Now, that's just the 5,000 men that it records. There was probably about 10,000 there because there was women and children as well. And we know that he fed them with five barley loaves and two fish. But directly afterwards, he sent the disciples on ahead. He said, I'm going to stay here. I'm just going to go up the hill for a while. I want you to go across the lake. And as they went across the lake, we know that a raging storm came up. Now, I have to ask, was Jesus taken by surprise? Did he know that he was sending his disciples out on the lake? And what have I done? There's a raging storm out there. Or was he aware that they were going to face a big storm? I don't think anything catches our Savior by surprise. And it says that whilst they're out there in the storm and it's raging, that Jesus comes to them walking on the water. Now, when we watch the movies, you know, um, it's, it's a scene of Jesus in this beautiful glassy lake, you know, with almost like a mirror finish and Jesus walking, you know, supernaturally over the water. But it wasn't like that. It says the waves were raging. They were crashing all over the place. It was a storm. And Jesus was walking on that. I don't quite know how you do that. <laughs> Walk up on this stormy river, uh, stormy uh, sea. But it says in Matthew 14, verse 26, when the disciples saw him walking on top of the water, they were terrified and they screamed, A ghost! He's the saviour of the world, coming to them in the midst of their fear, in the midst of their storm, and they were terrified. You know, sometimes the supernatural can be a bit of a terrifying, scary place. It is so far outside of our norm. It's so far out of our everyday, our natural mortal lives, that when Jesus comes in the midst of a storm, walking in the water, it's like, whoa, what is happening here? Nobody can do that. People can't walk on water, let alone a storm. But the disciples were about to find out just who their Savior was. That their Savior was somebody that transcended the natural. That he walked in the supernatural. That he was beyond the mortal in what we are on. He was somebody that wanted to come to them in the midst of a storm and show them that he had the ability to be greater than the storms of life. These disciples that were with him, they had actually, interestingly enough, oh, sorry, I'll stop and I'll go back here, that Jesus obviously called um, Peter to come out onto the water, and he did, and we know that he sank, and then Jesus pulled him out of the water. But 
when he got back in the boat, it's the reaction of the disciples I particularly want to talk about and what they said at that time. These are the disciples that had already been with Jesus for quite some time. They've just come from the other side of the lake where they saw Jesus feed 10,000 people with five loaves and two fish. He's already turned water into wine. He's done miracles in their presence. He's been with them all this way. And yet they say these words, Matthew 14, verse 32. And the very moment they both stepped back into the boat, the raging wind ceased. Then all the disciples crouched down before him and they worshiped Jesus. And they said in, in adoration, you are truly the son of God. You think they'd already know that. They're already Christians. They've already decided to give up their lives, as it were, and to follow him and be disciples of Jesus Christ. But they're sitting in this boat right now, and they're saying, truly, you are the son of God. As I read those words, I thought, how important is it for each and every one of us to have moments in our lives where we just reach out to God and ask him to reveal himself to us just who are you? Who am I following? Who am I a disciple of? Because I think sometimes we can understand that a little bit in our own flesh. But things happen, and particularly when we go through difficulties and when we have things that happen in our lives and we reach out and God turns up, it's like moments where we say, truly, you are the son of God. There's another story of Jesus on a stormy lake. And this actually came earlier, is in Matthew 8. And um, again, the same circumstances where all the disciples are in the boat. But this time, it's a little bit different in that Jesus is in the boat with them. And again, the winds are blowing up and it's a great big, huge storm and they're all petrified. But right in the midst of all of that, what's Jesus doing? He's lying in the bow of the ship, having a snooze, having a sleep. And it's... <laughs> It's interesting that it's almost like the disciples get a little bit ticked here. They're going, oh, what is this? We're about to die. The storm is coming, it's engulfing the boat, and our Savior is asleep in the boat. Sometimes we can wonder when we're going through the storms of life. We can feel, where's Jesus? What's going on here? Why, why isn't he doing something for us? Why isn't he stopping this thing right now? But see, he's right there in the boat with you. And when you read this story, he's actually waiting for the disciples to rise up. He's waiting for them to speak out in the power that is theirs. He's waiting for them to realize who they are, sons of God, daughters of God, that are betrothed to Jesus Christ. But instead, they reach out and they cry out, and I'll read it to you, Matthew 8, 25. The disciples woke him up saying, save us, Lord, we're all going to die. But Jesus reprimanded them. Why are you gripped with fear? Where is your faith? Then he stood up and he rebuked the storm. Be still. And instantly it became perfectly calm. The disciples were astonished by this miracle. How many miracles did he need to perform before they don't become um, sort of astonished by what he can do? Again, I say that you'll be astonished if you don't have an understanding of just who Jesus Christ is. 
That is why we need to constantly go to him and ask for fresh revelation. Because if we're going to walk in the power of our Savior, we need to understand just who it is that we are serving. The disciples were astonished by this miracle that they said to one another, who is this man? Even the wind and the waves obey him. And as we know later on in chapter 14, they finally get it. This is the son of God. They hadn't fully grasped who was there in the boat with them. You know, I know in this last little while, I've been owner building my own home. And I've got to tell you, it has been an enormous task. There's been moments where I've had to wonder, where are you, God, in all of this? Please turn up. But I've had to know that at those times, he was right there. And as my wife said to me, Andrew, it's okay. Speak to your circumstances. And I have to get there on the block sometimes and just speak out in a prophetic voice which God has given me and every one of you and speak to the circumstances and say, be still, be calm. It might be raging. It might be a storm. There's stuff going on, but my Lord is in the boat with me. I speak to these circumstances, Lord. Let me find you in these circumstances. But I want to tell you, the house is finished. We've moved in and we're through the storm. And I'm sure there's plenty more storms up in front. But in some ways, I know that when I go to those storms, my Savior's going to be right there in the boat with us. And we're going to be able to call on him. Um, just Darren and Anne, uh, Bill Champ, uh, so they're moving in next door to us. How's that, eh? And, um, you know, they had some stuff going on. And uh, just as the Darren was walking away the other day, I said, Darren, Speak to your house. Speak to the circumstances. You're bigger than what's going on around you. You are a son of God. So hopefully he's doing that. I have been betrothed to Jesus Christ. So therefore I too am a son of God. And I have the ability to speak into my circumstances. I don't want fear to paralyze me. I don't want circumstances to be greater than me. And so I believe that no matter what it is in our lives, no matter what is coming your way, you have the ability to speak out. When I'm counseling people in marriage, I say to them, go into your closet, as they say. Go into your quiet place. Prophesy over your marriage. Speak into your marriage. Speak love. Speak unity. Whatever is coming your way. And then come together as a couple and do the same thing. Pray about that thing and speak out who it is. Who is this man? He is the Son of God, the Most High, the name above every name, the beginning and the end. He is the mighty counselor and the Prince of, of, of Peace. And I pray, pray that we all start to pray for more revelation so that we will know. You know, but beyond just that, we've been, we're Christians, we've walked with him, we've given our lives to him. But God, give me more revelation about who you are. In Matthew 14 and verse 34, after the first story when, they had got, when Jesus had got back in the boat and they had continued rowing across the uh, lake, it says they came to a place called Gennesaret. Um, in Matthew 14, verse 34. After they crossed over and landed at Gennesaret, um, blah, 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 it goes on to 36. So they brought him all their sick, begging him to let them touch the fringe of his robe, and everyone who touched it was instantly healed. I read the commentary in my Bible on that one, and I want to tell you what it says. 
The power of God exuding from Jesus was so incredible that merely touching the prayer shawl would bring instant healing. This same power is available to the church today, for Christ the healer lives in every believer. We are sons and daughters of the living God. And the power that he has, now, why don't sometimes we get healed instantly of everything? I don't know. But it never stops me praying continually and moving towards God. Sometimes the journey through that thing gives us strength and gives us growth as we go through that thing and God can bring healing at the end, whatever, I don't know. Leave that up to God. So now I'll take you back to Susan in, in the car there. As that thing happened over the next 24 hours, I couldn't get this thing, Susan saying that, out of my mind and I started to think that God wanted me to preach maybe on this. And I'm saying, God, is this something that you want me to preach on? The next day, I was in my car again, and I was just driving on my own this time, and uh, the radio was on. And when, when the radio's on, for me, I don't tend to listen to lyrics. Half the time, I don't know what the lyrics are saying. It's just kind of white noise in the background for me, you know, nice noise while I'm driving. But this time, when I was driving, suddenly the words of this song jumped off the radio at me. And it was a song by Casting Crowns called One Step Away. And in the, in the um, chorus, it says, lay down, lay down your old chains. Come now, take up your new name. Your best life up ahead now. And at that point, I knew this is what God wanted me to speak on. That we have to lay down who we are. Lay down the limitations of our own flesh, as it were. Lay down the chains of our mortality. Lay down the, the chains of our weaknesses that we all seem to walk in so much. And we need to take up the name of Jesus Christ and walk in that. Lay down your old name. Take up your new name. In the building that I've been doing over this last year, I've been working very closely with Luke. Here's somewhere. Where is he? There he is, right there. Okay. With Luke. And, uh, you know, we've had a good time working on the house together. And we were actually talking one day. Um, he's a bit of a different type of builder. I remember one day I had um, render, not renderers, I had um, scaffolders in part of the house putting up scaffolding. And what was coming over the radio, my goodness, you don't want to listen to what was coming over the radio. That was at one end of the house in the language. And up the other end of the house, Luke's working, and he's got praise music on, <laughs> worship music. And it's like, this end of the house? No, I think I'm going to stay up this end of the house. <laughs> but we were actually uh, working away, and we're actually talking about this. And Luke actually said something to me. He said, I don't want to be known as Luke the Builder. I want to be known as Luke, the son of God. And as we started talking this through, as we're working away, we, I started to talk to him and saying, you know, in previous generations, it's interesting that coming from Britain, that a, a lot of people's names actually came from what they do. And Luke said, that's very interesting because my name's Luke Turner, which is a turner of wood. <laughs> he said, but I don't want to be defined by that. You know, we started going through it and having a little talk about it. You know, um, the reason there's so many smiths in the world today is because there were so many different types of smiths. There was blacksmiths, shoesmiths, arrowsmiths, swordsmiths, goldsmiths, greensmiths, they make copper, whitesmiths, they make tin, sicksmiths, they make sickles, and so many more different types. But so many people's names meant 
what they did. It gave them an idea. Robin Smith, he's always making something with his hands. So his name actually defines who he is. As we're actually going through this, I started to think of my own name, Andrew Mann, and I did a little bit of research. And it said that this actually came from um, people that were in service. They were the man. And like if anybody's watched Downton Abbey or something like that, the Lord of the Manor had a manservant. And often when he's going somewhere, he says, I'm bringing my man with me. He's the one that stood alongside, the one that assisted him, the one who helped him in everything that he did. And as I started to read that, I thought, that defines my life. <laughs> That's who I've been. One that stands alongside, one who helps, who's an assistant. But as I started to ponder that, you know, I thought, there was a time in my life where I started to allow who I am to take precedent over the other part of who I'm supposed to be. You can get so caught up in your giftedness, so caught up in your talents, so caught up in who you are defined as and who you get your accolades from that you start to think that's maybe where the power is in your life. But I learned that it's not that I had to almost, as it were, drop that thing and know that I am first and foremost a son of God. And out of that place and how that defines me, that then allows me to do what I have to do in my life. Because if you try to define yourself by this over here, I know personally what the consequences can be. And so I chose to move over to this side and be a son of God rather than just being a person that is defined by what I do. We are sons and daughters of God. I'll get the band to come on back up. We are sons and daughters of God. Romans 8 and verse 19. It says, The entire universe is standing on tiptoe, yearning to see the unveiling of God's glorious sons and daughters. God wants to display us to the world. He doesn't want to display you as a banker or as a financier. He doesn't want to display you as a builder or a teacher. He doesn't want to display you as a mother or as a grandmother. He doesn't want to display you by the things that you do. He wants to display you for how you reflect him in your life through the things that you do. He wants to, he wants to show the world, I have sons and daughters with me that are heirs to the kingdom of God. I have sons and daughters who are going to change the world. I have sons and daughters who are going to speak into people's lives. Now, that might be speaking into people's lives where you work. It might be speaking and shaping the lives of your sons and daughters that you've been given or your grandchildren that you'd love to have. That's fine. But don't do it out of the position in the natural. Do it out of the place in the supernatural, out of what God gives you. God wants to display us to the world. Being a son or a daughter of God means we are loved, cherished, and nurtured by God. It means that we are welcomed into God's kingdom, into His presence whenever we want. I'm a son, son of Russell Mann sitting over there, and a son of Enid Mann. I have the key to their home, and I let myself in whenever I want. <laughs> Go through the house, oi, oi, and they say, oh, it's you. Often when I go in their house, I'll go straight to the pantry. 
Um, see, my dad has kind of taken over the shopping of, of the last little while. And I'll tell you a secret. He loves buying sweets, lollies, chocolates, ice creams. I mean, the cupboards are full of it. And it's, and it's great, you know, don't tell Susan. I sneak over there sometimes, you know, and sort of can help myself into the wardrobe. You know why? I'm a son. I have the right. And my mum, she loves it. My dad loves it when I come in there and I just pick up that right. So you want to come in as a son. God is waiting for you. He's given you the keys to his kingdom. He's given you the keys to everything that he's got. And he says, come, let yourself in. Come into my presence. Help yourself to the power of God. Help yourself to the treasures that are mine because you're sons and daughters of the Most High. And as you walk in that, you will display to the world just who you are. Romans 8 and verse 15 says, but you have received the spirit of full acceptance, enfolding you into the family of God, and you will never feel orphaned. For as He rises up within us, our spirits join Him in saying the words of tender affection, Beloved Father. For the Holy Spirit makes God's fatherhood real to us. That's what being a son of God is, understanding that I am a son of God that it is real and that is who I am. And since we are His children, we qualify to share all His treasures, for indeed we are heirs of God Himself. And since we are joined in Christ, we also inherit all that He is and all that He has. We will experience being co-glorified with Him, provided that we accept His sufferings as our own. Why'd they have to go and put that there? <laughs> that was all good until I got to that bit. But this is it, you see. Being married, being betrothed, doesn't mean that I'm going to just have paradise for the rest of my life. It means I'm gonna walk a journey of commitment and togetherness through those times. And we will see those times and we will defeat those times and we will grow through them and we will get stronger and stronger as we go. So Christ comes into our lives and He says, yes, all of this is yours, but as you come with me, Walk through everything with me and use my power. I am convinced that any suffering we endure is less than nothing compared to the magnitude of glory that is about to be unveiled in us. It says that Jesus went to the cross, endured the cross for what was before Him, what was in front of Him. He, know, he came from heaven in the first place. He's been there since creation, before creation. And it says that he knew what was in front of him so he could endure what he had to endure. For us, are we, are we fully understanding of just where we are going? What is before us? This time here on earth is just a, just a moment in time. Don't get bent out of shape by the things that happen. Keep moving forward as sons and daughters of God to reveal to the world our expectation of what is before us. To understand this scripture, we have to take the focus off ourselves to here and now and understand that we are now being ready for an eternity with God and to walk in the supernatural right now. All the resources of heaven and power are ours. To truly grasp this, you have to be able to look past your own circumstances and your own perspective and see through God's reality. We are no longer servants but rather we are God's intimate friends. John 15, 15, I have never called you servants, but I call you my most intimate friends. 
for I reveal to you everything that I've heard from my, from my Father. Who am I? I am a son of God. What about you? Can you say that with absolute confidence? Can you say that with revelation of just who you are? Can you say that and understand just who Jesus Christ is? He's not just a story in a Bible. He is the living Savior who sits in heaven at the right hand of God, interceding for us every moment, calls us brothers and sisters, calls us His bride. I have betrothed, betrothed myself to Christ. I've tried to die to my old life, taken on His name, which is the name above all names. Today, take a step to ask Jesus to bring a fresh revelation to you of just who you are. Today, decide to use your prophetic voice to speak into your circumstances. Speak peace into your soul. Jesus was in the storm, but He was asleep and at peace in it. Today, give up your old name, your human limitations, and take up your new name. Let's pray. Father, I thank You and I praise You that You have called us, that You have betrothed us to Yourself, that we have taken on a new name. We are sons and daughters of God because of You, and we thank You and we praise You. I pray, Lord, that for all the people listening in today, whether it be outside on, you know, wherever they are, on the um, stream, Lord, or right here in the church, that people would want to pray and seek You more, that they might get a fresh revelation of just who You are. Lord, we commit ourselves to You once again, and we say, Lord, again, that we're in this for life. Hell or high water, whatever comes our way, Lord, we are Yours. And we thank you and we give you praise in Jesus' mighty name. And all the people said, amen. We might finish with something, okay? That would be good. Let's finish with a song. That would be great. Thank you. Mm.